Welcome to the Orange Socks Podcast, where we are inspiring life despite a diagnosis. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Nebaker. In this episode, I interview Sandra about her son, Tony, who has ADMP syndrome. Interestingly, Tony is a twin. I know you're going to love this interview. So, Sandra, thank you so much for taking the time to do an Orange Sox interview with me about your son, Tony, who's now 10 years old. Tony is, interestingly enough, a twin. So he has a twin brother, but Tony is the only one affected. So why don't you tell me, when did you find out that Tony had ADNP? We did not get a diagnosis for Tony for six years. So he was about six and a half, I believe. That was after the genetic facility where we lived could not identify what was wrong with him. So we went out on our own and found an undiagnosed study at Duke University, and they diagnosed him. But six years. Huh. What did you notice that was different about Tony? At birth, they were perfect. They were six and six and a half pounds, which is pretty good size for twins. After a little while, Tony was not keeping his body temperature up, and he was not sucking, so they brought him to the NICU. They later came and told us that they had some concerns about his heart, and we were sent to cardiology. That is when things got kind of sideways because they identified four heart defects. He had a very large VSD, he had an ASD, and he had something called a right aortic arch, which meant his arch was going the wrong way, and a vascular ring. Well, those come with a very rare genetic disorder called chromosome 22 deletion. So we were immediately sent for testing, and it took a while to get that. In that time, Tony had to have one of his first open-heart surgeries when he was three months old, and a couple weeks later, we got the test back for chromosome 22 deletion, and it was negative. So at that time, we thought, woo, we're out of the woods. He's fine. Yeah, he's just having these problems because something's wrong with his heart. But what quickly became evident as the boys were growing that something was off of Tony because he wasn't looking at us, he wasn't playing with toys, he wasn't hitting any of those developmental milestones like his brother was. We kept hoping he would catch up, and at about four or five months old, we started getting different diagnoses. They told us he had cortical blindness, which doesn't mean he's blind, it meant his brain wasn't processing his vision. So they sent him for an MRI, and that's when our worst fears were confirmed that something much bigger was wrong with Tony. They identified that he had several brain abnormalities. They just kind of sent us to every specialist there was at that point. Tony's diagnostic list just took off at about six months old. He had brain abnormalities such as hydrocephalus, he had extraaxial fluid, he had poor myelination, he's had cerebral atrophy twice, he had seizures, he has these congenital heart abnormalities, he has feeding problems, he would aspirate, he would throw up, he couldn't chew, he couldn't swallow, he had to have a feeding tube just to eat, he had global developmental delays, which included gross motor, fine motor, oral motor, he has autism, he has severe cognitive and speech delays, he has these neurological and structural visual impairments, sleep disorders, meaning he's in diapers, he needs help with every aspect of life. His list of medical problems just kept coming and coming and coming. So, you know, within the first two years, you're knee deep in, or neck deep, I should have said, in, in genetic testing, and nobody could tell us why. You know, we just kind of got thrown into this, and it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. <laughs> so when you finally got the diagnosis, what did you think about that? It's very hard to explain, because after about 
year three or four, when we heard that he had his first bout of cerebral atrophy, then I kind of started becoming mommy investigator and started doing a lot of research and trying to find answers on my own. And, and, and essentially, they, our genetic team told us, this is unique to Tony. It's the Tony syndrome. And you're never going to find out what's wrong with him, nor will it change anything. Just roll with it. That wasn't good enough for us. We wanted answers. So, you know, all this time fighting for answers, I called every genetic study in the country I could find and finally got him into one. And they diagnosed him. The meeting went like this. We found something. This is what he has. We've never heard of it. We've never seen a child with it. There's no treatment, no cure, no doctors who understand it, no medical protocol. They essentially had no information. So wow. it was almost worse because what they could tell us was this is a major brain gene and it's going to affect him for the rest of his life severely. That diagnosis was almost more isolating. Tony was the first child in the U.S. who got diagnosed after this was discovered. So there was one paper published on 10 kids. So he was the 11th kiddo. And the paper didn't have that much information that explained what this meant for his life or anything. So it was almost worse because all of a sudden now, it was like, you're all alone. There's nothing. It didn't even have a name at that point. Working with someone who has a condition that nobody knows about or understands is extremely hard. You know, the first few years, they really played the let's wait and see he'll catch up game. And so we didn't start aggressive therapy. Having no understanding of an extremely complicated disorder, you almost get less than if your child, let's say, had something well-known like cerebral palsy. You know, okay, well, we know what to do with those kids. Let's get them into this therapy and that therapy. Our son was so complex, I mean, head to toe had issues, that the left hand would blame the right hand all the time. You know, you'd go to, you know, why is he not looking at us? Oh, it's autism. Oh, but then the behavioral doctor would say it's the vision impairment. And then the genetic doctor would say it's the brain condition. And the neurologist would say it's the autism. And everybody would ping pong back and forth with the blame game, but no one had any idea of what to do about it. That was the most frustrating thing. Your story's so interesting. Unlike many parents who have a child that has some sort of mystery signs, symptoms, conditions going on that when they finally get a diagnosis, they're relieved because they go, oh, now we can hang our hat on this diagnosis. It, it didn't work that way for you. It wasn't helpful for you to finally get the diagnosis. It was helpful in one way because, you know, like I joke and say, at least it was a piece of paper that told me something. Yeah. You know, I had this piece of paper with these numbers and letters. It was extremely isolating because here's this amazing team at Duke and they could tell me nothing. However, it ended up opening amazing doors for me personally and for the entire ADP community because it kind of set me into this path of, well, I'm going to learn about it, this gene. It was, at that time, the worst feeling, but it ended up being an absolute gift because we wouldn't be where we are today, which is significant improvement and possible treatment and just amazing things if it wasn't for that diagnosis. So, although it was what is ADNP? ADNP syndrome is also known as something called, wait for it, Helms-Morgel-Vandere syndrome. And that is the first and last name of the team who discovered the syndrome. We call it ADNP syndrome for short. Hmm. And it's caused by your ADNP gene, which is your activity-dependent neuroprotective protein gene. 
This gene affects brain formation, development, brain function. It causes problems in vitro with, so that's why kids have heart defects and, and other abnormalities. In life, it causes neurological, cardiovascular, endocrine, immune, gastro system issues. It affects vision and hearing and growth and beating and sleep. It causes delays in intelligence and speech and motor planning and it causes autism and is thought to be one of the most associated non-hereditary genes mutated in autism. We talked a little bit about the challenges earlier, but tell me about the joys. One of the beautiful things about most of these ADMP kids is that they're extremely happy. I don't know if you've ever heard of Angelman syndrome. Yes, I have. But most of our kids were thought to have Angelman syndrome. So, you know, Tony was always a very happy, loving, just laughing little baby. And, and he still is, um, although he's very autistic and repetitive, it makes it good for us and it makes it good for his therapist and his doctors and everyone around because he'll cuddle with you and he'll show off for you, giggle and laugh. And he is also, all these kiddos are extremely hardworking. I mean, they don't know it, but, you know, he's been doing therapy every day since he was probably three years old, and he does it with a smile on his face. That's why we call him our Superman. He's a, he's a rock star. That's great. What has been his effect on your family, um, his twin brother and uh, others, uh, and your immediate family? What, what has been his impact on, on your family? good and it's bad you know you have the good of you know we're learning so much about each other and it's bringing our family closer and we're learning what's important in life but it's hard they have a sister Sophia is a couple years older and you know they miss out on a lot because we're here every day till 7 p.m with therapists they can't do something because their brother can't be there or you know you just can't go on a vacation and do very much of what normal families do. Once in a while, my mom will take Tony for the weekend and we'll have what we call normal family day, which is amazing. But it's things people take for granted, like, oh, we can go to the movie theater and then go to the store. Like, it's not a whole big planned event and we don't need diapers and wipes and all this equipment. We don't know any difference, but it's very hard. Then it's sad for his brother and sister because every year, you know, they'll try to buy him a birthday gift or a Christmas gift and get him excited about it. And he doesn't even understand what those things are. As they get older, they identify more and it's very sad. Now you have done some amazing things yourself. You've created an organization, you've reached out. And why don't you tell me just a little bit about what you have done? Like I was telling you earlier, there was no information when Tony got diagnosed. So I came home and became, I put this on my website, it's my little quote, the crazy, obsessed, highly caffeinated, middle of the night, internet stalking mommy. And just went full bore, I'm gonna find everything out I can about this gene. And that led me to the research team in Belgium and in Israel who discovered the syndrome in the gene. And I immediately said, you have 10 other patients. Give them my number, please. Anyone who speaks English, I just want to talk to other families. And, you know, within talking to two families, it was clear that there was a lot that these people did not know that our children had that was identical. So at that point, I thought, hey, let's start a Facebook group. Got a Facebook group together, did a private parent support group. And as it started growing, we all started sharing information. 
I started a crazy spreadsheet project listing everything and, and I started working with these researchers telling them like, hey, you guys, there's a lot more you don't know. So it all kind of snowballed into parents identifying and describing the syndrome extremely fast, helping these scientists. I built a website and started putting my statistical data on there and everyone who got diagnosed now, their doctors were directing them to the website. They were using it for a protocol. It just snowballed. And then I started working with researchers in the U.S. who quickly realized we need a foundation because we need money because we need to start funding research. And so then I had started a nonprofit organization last year called the ADMP Kids Research Foundation. I've got my own parent-driven database. I've actually been on five medical publications as a co-author for things I've discovered or helped identify three or published two or in peer review. But um, one of the most exciting things that I can say I've accomplished over the last couple of years has been I discovered a genetic biomarker for ADMP. Wow. So that was really cool. I had originally told you at the beginning, Tony has something called a radioactive arch, which is always seen in chromosome 22 deletion. It's very unique to that. Most other syndromes with neurodevelopmental disorders, their symptoms are all the same. There's nothing that stands out. In chromosome 22 deletion, the right aortic arch stands out. So as I started meeting these families and we're Facebook stalking each other's pictures and we're seeing like, hey, did your kid have a full mouth of teeth when he was one year old? So we started to identify that this was a biomarker and I thought, hey, this is like the right aortic arch. Early tooth eruption isn't seen in any syndrome. I mean, I researched it. As we got more families and more families and more families, I finally convinced the scientific team in Europe to investigate it, and they were able to identify that it is a unique biomarker for only ADMP, and that 81% of our kids had a full mouth of teeth when they were one years old. And it's horrifically important because it's an easy to see biomarker that will direct a genetic doctor to test for ADMP. And this is an autism syndrome. You can start these interventions at age. 13 or 14 months old, your child has a much better quality of life than somebody like my child who didn't get to start those aggressive therapies till he was almost six. That's so wonderful for you. And uh, you're not a researcher, you're not a doctor, but yet you accomplished something that's pretty amazing that has had a great effect on the early intervention of, uh, of kids with ADMP syndrome. Good for you. Congratulations. That's awesome. Thank you. What is your website? website that has, it's, it's grown into like a big informational website where I have patient stories, we list the phenotype description and just helpful hints, a lot of pictures and things that families who get diagnosed can see, which is to me one of the best accomplishments ever because no family is going to have what we had. They have a place now to find information. It's www.adnpkids.com. Collectively, that's now our hashtag and our brand is ADMP Kids, even though we do have some adults now diagnosed. The foundation website is just admpfoundation.org, and they both link to each other. You can find either one from either website. Great. You've done some amazing, amazing things. If I were to come to you having a very young child, that was just diagnosed with ADMP syndrome, what advice would you give me? I usually talk to most of the parents. Well, I'll tell you what I tell all of them. I tell them to review the website, and if they see anything 
that they've not had diagnosed or investigated to talk to their doctor about it. As an example, we had a family in the UK who had never seen a cardiologist, but their child, I think at that time, was 12 or 13. I said, heart defects are well-known in children with AVMP and all these other conditions. She ended up finding out her daughter had a pretty significant heart defect. I just tell them all, you know your child best. If they're having a, a weird vision issue, like do they stare at the lights a lot? Do they stare out the windows? They have a hard time looking at you for a long time. You know, get them checked out for cortical visual impairment. We found out as well something very exciting as our parent group collectively have found out that the number one problem our kids weren't talking was because they couldn't move their tongues purposely. So I tell parents to do what I call now the frosting challenge. And have them put frosting around the outside of their kid's lips. And if their child cannot purposely lick that frosting, then their child cannot purposely talk because you can't talk without purposeful movement of your tongue. My son included, as soon as we started working on his tongue, he can talk. He had, couldn't talk till he was seven, and now he can repeat any words you give him. You know, I just tell him those things that we've found to be unique to AD&T and suggest they talk to their doctor about it, because I'm not a doctor. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm just, I'm just in awe of what you've accomplished. Just congratulations. I tell you, parents collectively are such a force because we see everything. We remember everything. We're not looking at hundreds of other syndromes. We're only watching our kids. So collectively, we're powerhouse together. <laughs> And that's one of the most important things I've found out through this entire thing, is getting a parent group together and becoming organized, everyone being on the same page, getting a group of families who want to find treatment. We find out a lot and we do a lot. So there really isn't like a spectrum per se, as like with the autism spectrum, but if you have ADMP, there isn't as large a spectrum with that. Some of the things that are currently going on, which is pretty exciting, um, is that we have a new and the very first in the United States ever solo study on ADMP syndrome. So a um, team at, based out of Mount Sinai at the Seaver Center for Autism has just started doing a um, investigation to characterize the phenotype and the neurobiological pathways um, for the syndrome. And they're going to um, look through stem cells and animal models and look and try to find some treatments for our kids. So this is very huge for us. Um, and, you know, as I was telling you about the parents, this is the parents are funding it. We have no NIH funding. We have no funding. So uh, um, this is a very, very big deal for all of us as, as the families. And, um, and we could have a, the first viable treatment option coming out of Israel soon. There's a drug um, at a place called Coronis Neurosciences who um, had a drug for Alzheimer's, actually, because Alzheimer's is linked to your ADMP gene. Um, but after the syndrome was discovered, they started working on a similar drug for our kids. And this could be a game changer. This could be coming um, for clinical trials this year. So we're very, very excited about it. We're a little un, um, unsure how this will go down because uh, the Seaver project is estimated to be about two million dollars, and uh, we've committed ten kids, um, and not quite two, two million, but a lot of money for um, our ten kids. But they want to enroll fifty, and the uh, Corona's just the preclinical work is 
a million dollars. So, you know, as you can see, there's a problem. We don't have $3 million. <laughs> so we're a little worried about this, but very uh, hopeful because this could actually change the, you know, we could find some treatments for our kids and we don't have any treatments right now. So for us, it's, it's pretty amazing. After our interview, Sandra emailed me and wanted me to add to her comments on what has been hard. She said, quote, one of the hardest parts of having a child with this type of lifelong disorder is knowing they are going to need full-time care for the rest of their life, which affects the rest of our lives, unquote. She states that they will never retire and travel. They will have Tony with them until the day they die. Sandra worries about what will happen after they're gone, especially when she hears horror stories of group home placements. In addition, she says, quote, parents like us have to not only worry about paying for therapies and things our kids need to help them, but we have to save and plan for living arrangements that will protect them and give them a good quality of life when they're gone, unquote. And lastly, Sandra laments the effect on Tony's siblings. She says, Quote, we have tried to shield Tony's siblings from the stress and complexity of his syndrome, but they are affected daily. We love our children dearly, and it breaks our heart that we can't give them a better life, unquote. I am so grateful to Sandra for taking the time to speak with me. I learned a lot. To find out more information about ADNP syndrome, go to adnpkids.com. Thanks for listening to this episode. Orange Socks is an initiative of Rise Incorporated, a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting and advocating for people with disabilities. Follow Orange Socks on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, orangesocks.org, for more stories and to find national and local resources to help parents of children with disabilities.